This is a message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Our prayer is that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Youssef and the ministry of Leading the Way, the place to start is ltw.org. The story begins with a tale of four people. Isaac was a miracle son of Abraham and Sarah's old age. Isaac was a miracle baby. At the age of 37, again through God's intervention and a prayer by Eliezer the Damascus, which was the chief of staff of Abraham's business, God brings about this distant cousin, Rebekah, to be married to Isaac. Rebekah, like her mother-in-law, Sarah, was barren. And so Isaac begins to intercede on her behalf, and he began to intercede on his own behalf. And they began to cry to God, and God answered their prayers, even a little bit late in life. But nonetheless, he gave them twin boys. But the turmoil between those two boys began in the womb, started in Rebekah's womb. Two boys were born, Esau and Jacob. And they came out of the womb fighting. As we'll see throughout the series of messages, how the grace of God overruled in all four lives, it is more magnified, and we'll focus more on Jacob, but the grace of God overruled in all of their lives, all four of them. You'll see how the grace of God brought good and a blessing out of scheming and deceiving and treachery. You see, when Rebecca experienced the turmoil inside of her, inside of her womb, God graciously, graciously gave her a divine revelation. God revealed to Rebecca what is really happening inside of her womb. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to Rebecca, Two nations in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, that's what I want you to underline. The older will serve the younger. This is very important because this fighting between the twin boys, Jacob and Esau, is more than just sibling rivalry, which happens at the best of families. Why? Because here, the sovereign grace of God reverses the cultural norm. The cultural norm at the time is the older boy, the older sibling, rules over his younger siblings. Uh, Even today, I think, if uh, we're honest, uh, some of the older kids like to boss their younger brothers and sisters around, right? I grew up in that kind of a family, and I got bossed around by six siblings. But please listen, because I know and you know that sibling rivalry is as old as creation. It really is. And it is always, always associated with a prideful heart, always, always associated with a sinful heart. You see it in the life of Cain and Abel. You see it in the life of Noah's Uh, children, Noah's sons, and you see it between Ishmael and Isaac, and you see it in Joseph and his brothers. Even today, if a mom would come in the room and the kids messed it up royally, 
And she will open the door and says, who did this? All the fingers fly in different directions. Never pointed to oneself. And that is why when the grace of God is ruling in a family, when the grace of God is operating in a family, there is always, always confession and always forgiveness and always restoration in the family. Amen? And when the time came for Rebecca to deliver the twin boys, you find that not only they were not identical twins, not only they looked so different like day and night, but they came out fighting. Esau came out first, but Jacob was not going to be outdone. He came out grabbing of his heel immediately, not a second between them. Beloved, as I said, this is not mere sibling rivalry. The power struggle between those two boys continued for a long time, and I dare say continues to this day. Only Jesus can change lives. Jesus Christ can melt any wall of enmity that there is, no matter how bad it may look. Question. Where did Isaac and Rebekah fail in their parenting responsibility? Before I answer this question, I want to hasten to say that it was Isaac and Rebekah's parental failure that exacerbated the tension between Esau and Jacob. And now some of you are saying, Michael, Michael, are you sure that both parents sinned in the same way? Didn't Isaac sin a little bit more than Rebekah? Sin is sin. Whether it's a big sin or a small sin, sin is sin. Let me tell you why. They did not feed their children on the Word of God. You say, how come, Michael? If you look at verse 23 of chapter 25, book of Genesis, you see that Isaac and Rebekah both were aware of God's revelation to Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah were aware of God's supernatural intervention in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah understood that Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac and Rebekah understood that it is through Isaac the Messiah will come. Why did they not teach and explain and train both boys regarding God's revelation to Rebekah? regarding God's will for their life, regarding God's plan for their life. Why did they not teach Esau that God said the Messiah is going to come through Jacob? Why did they not teach both boys about the promise of God and the faithfulness of God and that he kept with grandpa and grandma Abraham and Sarah? Why didn't they train Jacob to be prepared for his role? and to wait for God's timing. Why didn't they teach them both that God has different plan for each of them, and they need to know it, obey it, and revel in it, and rejoice in it? Please don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I know this is somebody sitting here who says, well, you know, what about me? No, no. This is a special revelation. <laughs> does not apply to any of us. This was a very special revelation was given to Rebecca for those two boys, okay? So don't get yourself under a whole lot of false guilt. <laughs> please, please, I want to make sure of that. The only application for all of us is this. It is never too late 
to tell our children about the love of God, about and the importance of honoring God in their lives, to believe in the promises of God, and yes, to believe in the timing of God. But nonetheless, none of us can be placed in the category of this special revelation that is given to this special family. I just want to be sure, because I know and I met through the years, a lot of parents have a lot of guilt, and I don't want to add to it, especially when parents have come to the Lord late in life, and they did not have the chance to train their children because they did not know the Lord when the kids were small, young. Do not fill your mind with condemnation and guilt. Remember this. Satan will heap guilt on you, but God says, trust in my sovereign timing and pray for your children. There's something else here I really need to say. Even among the godliest of families, tension and conflict happen. I don't care how godly your family is, tension and conflict happen because we're still living in this flesh. We're not in heaven yet. We don't have the glorified body. It is how you deal with that tension. It's how you deal with that conflict that really matters. In the case of Isaac and Rebekah, instead of training their children to know and trust God's revelation and God's will and God's plan, they chose instead to follow their own emotions, their own feelings, and their own preferences. So one loved one, the other loved the other. Isaac favored this rugged individualist in Esau, that redneck. Actually, that's where redneck came from. Did you know that? It really did. That's his name. The word Edom in Hebrew means red. And that's why they never referred to him as the Esauites. <laughs> they referred to him as the Edomites. They're the descendants of Esau. Esau was a guy with a ruddy complexion. And the sun and the outdoor turned his red skin into leathery appearance. Esau was the kind of guy that drove a pickup truck. And he had a gun on the rack of his big pickup truck. He's the kind of guy who had tattoos all over his body and a ponytail. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I'm just blowing it up so you can see it. Now, Rebecca, on the other hand, favored Jacob. <laughs> he was a mama's boy. <laughs> he was a thinker and a planner. He was a strategist and a schemer. He was a good cook, and he spent a lot of time in mama's kitchen. Jacob always stayed home. He didn't go out and hunt and fish and do all those kinds of good things. <laughs> he stayed home. And that is why he found himself at the right place at the right time, <laughs> as we will see later on. See, the vast difference between those two boys could have led to the sin of favoritism on the part of Isaac and Rebekah. And I keep saying it is a sin, and I'm going to explain in a minute. Verse 28, beloved, this verse is a warning to all of us, is a warning to all of us. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, favored Esau, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I'm aware of the fact and as I see not only in my life, in the life of other parents, that there are times in the life of parents when they are relating more to one than the other in growing up in different stages too, because that relating changes with the change stages of life. 
But this is very different from blatant favoritism. You heard me say it for the second time, third time. Favoritism, blatant favoritism, is a sin and needs to be repented of. But even so, there are times, because of that relating situation, that you find one sibling might feel that you're favoring the other, and they may accuse you of it. But you do that business with you and God in your heart. But I also believe that this is why parents need to really work hard at doubling their effort to show even-handedness. They need to double their energy in showing even-handedness. They need to double their affections in order to show even-handedness. And yes, they need to double their time investment in order to show even-handedness. But let me venture to say again that blatant favoritism is a sin that needs to be repented of and be repented of today. But there's a deeper problem here. I'm taking you slowly into this. There is a deeper problem between Isaac and Rebekah. There is an element of distrust between the husband and the wife. And you see it there clearly. You say, well, how, why else Rebekah was listening through the keyhole to the conversation that Isaac was having with Esau? And that is why the title of the series of messages, Fear Deceives, But Grace Will Set You Free. Hear me right, please. Because on a deeper level, this is a spiritual problem. Rebecca was right in clinging to the promise of God by focusing on Jacob, but she went about it in a deceitful way. Isaac's willful rejection of God's revelation brought him a lot of heartache. You'll see later on that he trembled when he realized that he was going against God's revelation. Beloved, the trust between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, spilled over on the children and brought distrust between the twin boys. I have experienced it firsthand. When I know without a shadow of doubt that God is calling me to do something, but I did not wait for God's timing, and I tried to beat the door that was closed, beat it down, I found a lot of heartache and pain. God's timing. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God's timing is always perfect. Look at Moses. He knew most assuredly that God is calling him to set these people free from the slavery of Egypt. So what does he do? He takes things into his own hand. He said, okay, I'll go and goes and kills the Egyptian. It's not God's timing yet. It is God's call, but it's not God's timing. He took the matters into his own hands. And then he had to spend 40 years in the land of Midian until he realized that he must trust in God's timing. But thank God, in both and in all circumstances, thank God for His overruling grace. I want to repeat this. Thank God for His overruling grace. Can you say that with me? Thank God for His overruling grace. Fear will always deceive, but grace will set you free. It will free you up. Grace will free your soul. Grace will free your spirit. Grace will free your mind. And yes, grace will free your heart. You'll see this in this series again and again and again and again. 
And to make things worse, Esau's impetuousness led him to devalue his birthright. And so, he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for about a buck worth of soup. Let me ask you this. How many of you know an Esau? Those who have created shipwreck of their lives and of their reputation, all for the sake of instant gratification. But listen carefully. But for the grace of God, there go I. For a momentary satisfaction, Esau's life became a shipwreck. Jacob, on the other hand, (laughs) was not blameless. He was not blameless. Had he trusted God, had he trusted in God's promise to his mommy, had he trusted God's timing, I keep repeating this, the results would have been very different. But once again, thank God for His overruling grace. Let's say it again. Thank God for His overruling grace. Listen, there are very, very, very few of us who can really have the long view of things. Very few. We often jump to conclusions based on current circumstances and make the wrong decisions. But once again, thank God for His overruling grace. Let's say it again. Thank God for His overruling grace. The thing about our God is this. You see, He sees the beginning and He sees the end, all at the same time. He sees the unseen. He sees what's around the corner, which we can't see. He sees in our blind side. And that is why my daily cry to the Lord, and several times a day, and you can join me in that prayer if the Lord lays it on your heart, is my daily, several times a day, Lord, permit me not to make a choice that is inconsistent with your perfect will in my life. Beloved, taking matters into our own hands may make us feel that we're doing something. You know, we're just busy. We're doing something. We're busy doing something but it causes a whole lot of pain in the long run. Let me conclude by telling you another testimony of my growing up years. I was taught, you must never mention the sovereign grace of God. We know it's there, but don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. I remember asking, why? Why you don't talk about grace? It's in the Bible. He said, because people would just sin, and uh, they would say, well, the grace will cover it, and they become carnal Christians. But you know what it did for me? It led me to live those early years of my Christian life in utter fear. Utter fear. I thought every time I failed, God is going to whack me so hard. Fear. Now, I fear the Lord. That is, I revere Him. And that's different from being terrified of Him. Did you get that? But when I began to understand the Word of God, when I began to understand the plan of God for salvation, when I began to understand and discover the incredible, incredible, indescribable grace of God, the sovereign grace of God, it became the most freeing yet humbling truth. Not only set me free, but it took me to my knees. Grace sets you free from sin, and leads you to obedience. How? Grace will cause you to see obedience, not as a duty, not as an obligation, 
not as something you're going to grit your teeth and say, I've got to obey God, I've got to obey God, and you keep failing, and you say, oh, I've got to obey God, I'm sorry, God, I didn't obey you. It's not supposed to be that way. That's an error. But obedience comes naturally out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving for the sovereign grace of God. At that moment, obedience becomes a delight and a joy. It becomes natural. It becomes second nature to know that I am redeemed by God's sovereign grace and nothing I could have done that would have helped in any way drove me to my knees and continues to drive me to my knees to this day I pray to God will keep putting me on my knees until I see Jesus face to face regardless of the circumstances the knees of thankfulness the knees of gratitude the knees of joyful obedience will fill your heart and my heart with the joy of the Lord Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org.